0: That this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking of the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at Rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. Church, and we love Jesus, and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us, and we're glad you're here.
1: Hey, if you're not sitting down, go ahead and have a seat today. Uh, today, we have a, a really special guest uh, with us. As you can see, this is Stan. Stan, everybody say, hey, Stan. And stand. what he's going to stand for this morning is he's going to serve as a visual representation for you and for me, uh, our bony companion. He's going to remind us this morning that in Christ, you and I, we're not who we used to be, that something in us has died and something else has been brought into new life. And, and, and in fact, you can't, you can't rise until you first die. And, and, and the whole book of Romans is really about that rescue story from death into life. And, and we've used it and t- called it the term salvation. And then the book of Romans, it moves on into the, the practical effects, the out working of what salvation does in the life of a believer and you know we've spent considerable amount of time in chapter 5 talking about this uh what god has done for us in salvation and we call that justification or god's work in you and and sort of to, to catch you up a little bit from last week pastor cody what he did is he brought a grid up for us you remember that grid that he that he showed those you bring go ahead and bring that up for us this grid uh, Cody used, and what he did in this map is he he used this map to show us pieces of the process that are salvation, and uh, he really sat down a lot on on sanctification. And sanctification—that's God's work through you. And and what happens, church, is that in your lifetime, as a result of God working through you, what will inevitably happen? is that you will change, because a saved person is a changed person, amen? And the good news of the gospel is that it never, ever leaves us exactly where it found us at first. And so, uh, last week, Pastor Cody, he started to talk about and open up the lid on this conversation for how you and I, how we can break free from the grip of Sin in our lives, and this morning the apostle Paul he has something else he wants to stir in us about this change that's happening. That we need to know about our former identity in old man Stan and his snapback. Evidently, also uh, he wants us to know something about our old identity and our new identity in Christ, so that we can become the people God has created us to be. So, if you have your Bible. Go with me this morning to Romans chapter 6, that's where we're going to sit down at. So you can pull out your phone if you have a phone. I think something amazing happens when our eyes connect with the scripture, so there may be a Bible in front of you this morning. Just open up your Bible, go to Romans chapter 6, and this is week 41, this is the resurrection makes it real, it's united to Christ, and we'll read verses 5 through 7 together. Um, If you're there, say, got it. Uh, If you need just a minute longer, say, hold on, stand. Stand. Alright, I got you man, I got you. Wait just a second. Romans 6, we're going to read 5 through 7 together. Do you love Jesus Christ Church? Are you ready to study His word this morning? Amen, this is the word of God. It says, for if we have been united with Him, Jesus, in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self, at Stan, he was crucified with him uh, in, in order that the body of sin might be brought back to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free. Hey, Caleb, bring, bring Cody's uh, uh, salvation matrix back up for us just, to, just for a second. If you look at this grid... What it does is it starts out in this process, in the beginning life of a believer, in justification. That's as God saves us in it. The end cap of it, it results in glorification, which is God's completed work on you. It's a perfect work. When we look at some of these terms sometimes, you know, glorification, sanctification, justification. Like, what does what that stuff even really, what does it really mean? Well, here's an easy way for us to think about them this morning, and it's this. Justification is God's work for you Uh, sanctification is God's work through you and glorification is God's completed final work on you and then there's another word that wasn't up there that's in the starting line of this race called regeneration say regeneration and regeneration this is God's work in you so again really quickly justification is God's work for you, sanctification is God's work. Through you, glorification is God's completed work. On you, and regeneration is God's work. In you, and the real question that the Apostle Paul is working to answer this morning is: How do you and I? How do we live in the in between, between the starting process and the final day? What do we need to remember as we uh, live in Christ? Well, you and I, we need to remember our regeneration, and what that means is that you need to know that you're new. You need to know that you're new. And this is the idea, knowing that you're new, that lies underneath of everything else the Apostle Paul has to say throughout Romans chapter 6, that justified people are changed people and that they are changing because God has supernaturally done something in them that they could not do themselves. God, he did a work for you, he's done a work in you, and he will do a work through you if you would allow him to, too. And so that's my call for you today. And it's really simple. Know that you're new. Know that you're new. And so we'll pray and then we'll work through this text together. If you would pray with me. God, I know that we can come this morning and we can talk about these terms. We can talk about justification and we can We can talk about grace and regeneration, and the truth is, Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can do any of those things. You're the only one that can bring those things. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we wouldn't just be filled with head knowledge about you, but that, God, we would be filled with you. And that that filling of you would lead to change in us. Jesus, change us This morning, teach us, Holy Spirit, what you are writing through, Paul, to the Roman church that hits us where we are today. God, thank you for making us new. Help us to remember that. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. So we're going we're to jump right into verse 5 and we're going to look at this new and see what Paul has to see, say about where this new actually comes from. So he says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And the primary point, if you look at that verse, the primary principle that Paul is making in this statement is that being a Christian is means that you are united with Jesus. It's the language of union. That's marriage sort of language, by the way. And so what this means is that it involves this deeply personal, intimate identification with Jesus Christ. And so what that means for us is that much of what is true about Jesus also becomes true about you and about me. And we understand this concept of union on a really basic sort of human level. We understand what, what you, union is. Because whenever you get married, much of what's theirs becomes yours. And then what much of what is yours becomes theirs also. It's that age-old statement of what's, what's mine is yours, babe. Laura, what's mine is yours. And we get this, and you guys, you know this, because when you go to McDonald's and and you order, you know, some food, and you go ahead and order the large french fry, even though you don't want a large french fry, right? Because you know you're going to come home, and your spouse, she's going to take at least 10 of those french fries, even though she said she doesn't want any of those french fries, she's going to take them anyway, because what's mine is hers, now, in our union with Christ Jesus, uh, Paul points out two pieces, at least, of what His is ours, and he says this in the text: We're united with Him in a death like His, and also in a resurrection like His too. And Pastor Cody talked about this last week in our in our baptism that our baptism points both to a both to a funeral and also to a, a wedding that baptism's symbolism that it has when you see people getting dunked up here on stage, what this is, what it means, is that part of it is it's a it's a, it's a burial, it's a death to an old person, an old you, it's done, it's gone. And then it's also this picture of resurrection where God's death becomes our death, his resurrection becomes ours. So in God's resurrection, it assures you and me in our resurrection in the future. And so we are united to Christ. We have a new identity marker now. We have a new power. We have a new security. We got a new destiny. We got a new ID badge that we just didn't have before. And in the moment of your change, when God works for you and in you, he literally makes you, can you guess what it is? New. He makes you new. And you have a new nature now because you're a new being. Or, or, or let me put it in terms like this. How many of you have an have a iPhone or a tablet or a Droid or some other version of a phone or device? Just raise your hand this morning. So a lot of us, a lot of us have that kind of thing. Um, well, let's imagine this is your phone and you're trying to download the latest Rest Church app from the App Store. And, and, and all of a sudden, you see your screen. And I can't speak for Droid users because I don't know what happens there. Uh, but for the, the user of the iPhone, what happens is you begin to see this little spinny wheel of death. How many of you are familiar with the spinny wheel of death? Old man Stan, he knows about the spinny wheel of death. And now let's assume You've tried everything you know to unlock your phone, to get it from, to fix it from its brokenness and its current condition, and so you reluctantly, Josh, you decide to call tech support. Now, what's the very first thing when you call tech support? What's the first thing they're going to tell you to do in this process? What are they going to tell you? They're going to tell you to do what with your phone? Restart that phone, right? They're going to say, hey, you you need to restart, you need to restart your phone. Restart your phone. You hit that reset button. Church, this is free, okay? Many of your problems, your device problems can be solved if you would just have some patience. Restart your phone, right? You don't have to call your kids. You don't have to call your grandkids. You don't have to Google it. Just restart your phone. In fact, the book of Proverbs, this has a great life verse if you're looking for a tattoo. Proverbs 14, 29, patience leads to abundant understanding, but impatience leads to stupid mistakes. So breathe, take a breath, And hit reset. But let's take this just a step further, okay? You called them. They said hit, hit reset. But it still doesn't fix the current broken condition of your phone. It's still broken. You still see the spinny... Will of death. And so it turns out you're not as stupid as you thought you were, right? So they can't, you take it into the store, whatever store it is, T-Mobile, uh, Verizon, AT&T, whatever. And you go, here you go. They try to work on it. And it turns out they can't fix it either. They can't fix the brokenness of your phone. And so what, what they do because you have Apple Care or you got insurance or whatever, the solution they give you is they don't fix your broken phone. They fix your broken phone by giving you a brand new cell phone. Amen. This is part of what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says we're united in death and resurrection with Jesus to know that you're new because new isn't something we can do ourselves. New, it's not even a joint venture between us and God because unless God the Holy Spirit comes in and He changes your very nature and gives you His nature, gives you His Spirit, then we're not new. The only thing you and I bring to the table of our salvation that we sit on it is our sin. It's why Luther, he was having a debate one time with this guy named Erasmus, and he reminded Erasmus, he said, nothing is not a little bit of something. Nothing is not a little bit of something. No, no, no. God works for you, God works in you, he works through you to make you brand new. And the idea that Paul is laying out here before us is this new genesis. That's actually what he what he says in here he says if we have been united with Christ that word there is ginamai which is a new genesis, it's a whole new beginning. It's not just fixing what has been broken in us. This is a, a new thing. This is a second to the original. This is one and two, and the two are not the same. It's a totally new person standing against a person who has died. And to that you might go, well, hey, that sounds great. You know, that sound, his, his life is my life. His death is my death. But, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not dead yet, so really, what does this have to do with me? Well, if you're a Christian, you are dead. You are spiritually, you are, are, are spiritually have been made in death. You are dead to sin, but made alive in Christ. And Paul says this in part A of verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like him and the real reason that this matters so much is that because in that death or prior to your death not physical, but spiritual. Prior to God's initial change in you, sin, it's the only road map of your life. Sin is the only option on the table for you to work from. And so in a spiritual sense, when we get regenerated, when we were regenerated actually, we also spiritually died with Christ at Calvary. And when he went to the cross, he didn't go for himself, but he went for his sheep and their brokenness. And so at the cross of Christ, he did a work for us on it that you and I could not do for ourselves. He was carrying in his death our sin, and so it's his death that becomes our death. And so church, what do dead people do? What are they really good at doing? Nothing, right? Dead people don't do anything. And that's the relationship, the control, the power of sin has over you now If you're in Christ, because it's lost the dominant hold it once had in your life. And so what I want you to remember about your new, the first part of this, this death part, is that the funeral, it had a burial. And so it doesn't make sense for us to go back to an old way of life. This is dead. And so stop being a grave digger. And, and just really quick on this, let me say, like, sometimes we do this to ourselves and, and our own self-condemnation, self-speak. Sometimes other people want to do this in our lives and they want to use a shovel as, as bitterness and go and dig up the past. And so they'll go, hey, hey, you know what? You, you used to go here. You used to say this or she used to be like this or, or make this list of whatever It is. And what I'm saying is, it's dead, so let it be dead in Christ. You don't have to be haunted by who you were. No, no, no. You can instead be happy about who you are now becoming. Know that you're new. And it's from this new, it's from that point of view that we look forward the Apostle Paul says in verse 5, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We shall certainly be. Tell your neighbor church, say, it's certain. It's certain. Say it with some conviction. It's certain. Put on your preacher voice for a second. It's certain, man. Man, this is some exciting news because I can, I can tell you, like I can count on my right hand the things in this life that are guaranteed that actually come to pass, right? Right? And Paul's giving us the rest of the story here. What he's doing is he's jumping from that initial place of what God has done for you initially to what God does and will do for you ultimately. This is another uh, what's mine is yours from Jesus. And he gives us this new resurrection life. And with that life comes this freedom from the dominance of sin that controls us. And it will one day result in the freedom of the presence of sin all together. What good news. And, 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 and we know that this is a guarantee because look at what Paul says. He says, we shall. That's future language. We shall. The resurrection church, it's ultimately a hope for your future. It's a hope for my future. And yes, at some point, someday, those in Christ will receive a new glorified body. And yes, God will one day come and He will right every single wrong. And yes, one day, either Jesus will have paid the debts of those that you wronged and those who have wronged you, or they or you will eternally pay for that debt separated from Him. This is a future promise. It's a guarantee that comes with the new. And in this new identity, what it also does though that you need to know about your new is that it comes, the resurrection, it's in the future, but it also happens right now in us. It comes to energize it, the life of a believer. So how, do, how, does it, how does what's to come later down the road, how can that in, energize me right now? And, and we're not gonna deep dive into this because we're gonna continue to get through it as we get into Romans, but, but hear this. When you get a new identity, What comes with that new identity is new desires for the new one that you love. When you get a new identity, you get new desires that come with the one that you love. And the bottom line is this, you and I, we are no longer in Christ capable of enjoying our sin. Because a sinning Christian is a miserable Christian. A sinning Christian is a miserable Christian. Person, The things that you used to, the things you used to look forward to, you now dread. See, because you now love Jesus. And Jesus is your deepest longing. Jesus is your deepest desire. And so now you will grow to hate your sin because it's your sin that killed the one that you love. It's why if you if you've ever been around a family that's had somebody die for can, from cancer, you never hear any of the family members, you never ever hear them say, "Man, I sure do love cancer." Right? You never hear that. No, because cancer killed the one that you love. You hate it. And that's the relationship we're supposed to have with our sin as God the Holy Spirit has made his home in our heart. New desires come with our new identity. And so the Christian life isn't what you have to do. It's what you get to do because you have a new nature. And it's just what you want to do. And and it's like, but but how can this give me confidence that it will actually, the change will actually take hold? And Paul tells us, that it gives us confidence in the change because we know that it all relies on God. That's what he says. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And I was saving this illustration. Just hang on that verse. I was saving this illustration from Romans chapter 8, Johan. But I'm going to let it fly here this morning. And I may bring it up again because it's good. Um, you know, every, every Sunday morning when I walk through the parking lot and my boys are with me. And Jordan is with me and uh, what happens is we hold hands together most of the time. And so we're walking across the parking lot. And every time we walk across the parking lot, I'm reminded of God's sure and certain grip that he has on me. Because what's the, what the, the truth of that is, is that it's not about Jordan's grip that he's got on me. Mm-mm. It's all about my grip that I got on him. Dad's got him. Dad's not letting him go. And so if I've got a good grip on my kid, how much more, more infinite is God's eternal grip on us? And so when you're doubting, because doubt will come, if you're doubting, if, if God's still around, if he's still working with you, you need to remember, you need to know that you're new and praise God for his eternal grip on your hand, Amen. Verse Six so so we've talked about the new a, a lot let's let's dive into just a second of this of this death of old man Stan of of how, of why he was put to death, and so Paul says this, We know that our old man, our old self, old man Stan, he was crucified with him Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we could we would no longer be enslaved. To sin and Josh we actually sing this line in one of our songs sometimes in worship you've heard it it's called Christ be magnified and the line says if the cross brings transformation then I'll be crucified with you which sounds super weird if you don't know the context right like if you're walking in as an unbeliever you're like, I'm not what is this this is weird people here right like, I don't know what's going on but if you're in Christ what it's saying is that the old in you has Died. Our old man, our old self, is the unregenerate, unresponsive, non believing, uh, broken iPhone self that it was. Paul saying that he has been crucified with Christ. At Calvary the curse of God was placed on Christ, but it was also handed up in union to his sheep, which is Stan. And so, there, look, there's a, there is a ton of, of theological conversation around this. Did the old man die or is he, is he continually dying still? And, and I'll partially let you just work that out for yourself. But there are two things I do want to mention that what I believe Paul is saying. And so, hopefully you'll give me grace in this rendering. But two things, say two. Two things it does I don't think it means here. I don't think the old self-crucified, number one, I don't think that it means sin is weakening in us, and I don't think that it means that we no longer want to sin anymore. I don't, I don't think that's what Paul's saying here, because we do still sin, and, and otherwise, why would Paul even bring an argument to believers to live in their new identity and not their, not their old one? And secondarily to this first point still, Yes, crucified is a process, as it says in Galatians 2 uh, verse 20, but it's also a process that ends, that results in what? Death. It ends in death, and in our text here, if you'll read it, it seems to indicate this single, past, once and forever, already completed action that's applied to those who are in union with Christ Jesus. And so sin, it still has influence over us, but what Paul's saying is that sin can't control us anymore. And that leads to number two. I interpret the old self-crucified as not being, as not synonymous with our flesh. Sure, it's related. I don't think they're the exact same thing, though. And, and, and here's why. Not to, not to beat a dead skeleton, but uh, old man Stan, he refers to all of the fallen community of people who were united together in Adam. It's all that we were in Adam, the first Adam of Genesis, before we believe, before God took us out of in Adam and placed us in Christ. And so Paul, what he's not doing for us is he's not describing a a dualistic, schizophrenic Christian I believe Paul is talking about this as this is something that has already and irreversibly happened and been completed in Christ. And so Stan is dead. R.I.P. to Stan. This is the me that I used to be. It's someone that I used to know. And there's two reasons, say two, there's two reasons behind this death, Paul tells us he says first that Stan our old self verse 6 was crucified with him Jesus in order that that means here comes the first reason in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing church everywhere else we see that word crucified here in Romans it means to be killed it means to be killed so it, it logically makes sense that Paul is saying the old self was killed, look at that, that phrase, in order that, in order to, what? Get rid of our body of sin. And so, if my old self is my old nature, what in the world then is this body of sin that Paul is talking about? And it's written in the form of body, not just as a physical body, but as how you might think of a uh, uh, a composition of literature volumes that, or volumes or, or series that's made up of several books it's a collection of and it's that same kind of idea Paul's laying out here it's not just one thing it's several things and, and so Paul's not talking about your physical body independently he's talking about that plus other things and you know this to be true right you go into does and you get a knife and you can use it to cut a porterhouse right And that's a really useful thing. But you can also take that same knife and you can stab somebody in the eye with it and that's going to be frowned upon in most restaurants, right? (laughs) So it's not the tool, the body's a tool. It's not the tool that's inherently evil. It's the intent of the knife user. It's the intent behind the one with the body. And so the issue for us becomes... Well, if Stan is dead, how come I still sin? How come I still sin? So I want you to think about it like this. In some uh, subdivisions of the ancient world, one of the penalties for murder, it was to tie the murdered, uh, decaying corpse onto the person who had murdered it. And you had to drag it around with you everywhere you were going. And so can you imagine this? Like you're walking down the street and somebody has a corpse tied to them tied around their body I mean would there be any more thing, anything sh- more shocking than to actually see that you're walking down the street and the guy's carrying a dead body you know handcuffed to him and so some commentators believe that's what Paul's referring to when he says body of sin you don't get this Carl come here for a second they don't get this picture okay Carl he murdered this guy and so, what we're going to do is, Carl, you now have to carry around. Do you want to carry him like a baby or? Okay. Carry him, just carry him around the room for us a little bit, Carl. Let everybody get familiar a little bit with, <laughs> with Stan here. And, and, and so, if the Apostle Paul, if that's what he's talking about when he says body of sin, What this means is that the sin nature that we had in us, that's decaying, that's putrid, that is corrupted, this broken body of death, what he's saying is that in Christ it's died, but we still have to carry it around with us until we go to heaven. Even though we've been made (coughs) new, And we are reborn and we've been set free from from sin's dominion over us. We still sin. We still fall. We still carry it around. But it's not in control. And because God's completed work on you is not finished yet, this doesn't mean that you aren't unchanged. We are changed. The old man's dead. And our body of death is dying daily and it dies by inches sometimes, day by day, moment by moment. But also those of you who have been raised with Christ, you are being strengthened moment by moment, day by day, As God works in you, Carl, you can lay Stan down. Thank you. Let's give Carl a a, a round of. Or hang him back up for me this morning. Yeah. We'll hang him back up. You You can hang him back up for me. So, Paul, he's saying the new you doesn't have to be controlled by Stan anymore. It makes no sense for him to to control you. This body of death that lives on you still, it shouldn't have to control you. He said that, that it's been birthed, it's been brought to nothing. And so what's so amazing about this is that previously you were a slave. You were a slave to your sin. That was your master. But now in Christ through the resurrection, through his death being your death, his life being your life. Now, now you're not a slave anymore. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. And you need to know that you're new. It's freedom. Say freedom. Freedom. It's freedom that Paul is pointing us to. The end of six into seven, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him, Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that, here's reason number two, Stan had to die. It's like Earl had to die, right? This is number two, why Stan had to die, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has what? Been set free from sin. The one who has died has been set free from sin in the verse before that so we are no longer enslaved to that because of the one Jesus who has died there's this guy his name's Augustine and he was an early influencer of of the church and around this conversation he would talk about it from time to time and he used this metaphor in the sense uh, from Romans 6 here of he used the picture of Satan riding a horse bring that horse up for me so he uses this metaphor of Satan riding a horse to describe this master-slave relationship that exists. And, he, and listen, just listen to what he said. You can leave the horse up there. Prior to the, our conversion, we the horse have one rider, Satan. He has the bit in our teeth. He is in control of the reins. When he turns our head in a certain direction, that's the direction we go. When he says, whoa, we stop. And when he says, giddy up, we go faster because he is our master. We are his slave. In staying church, that's where we were. Now Augustine he goes he goes on to say that that once we're converted, once we're regenerated, once we're made new by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, it's not as if Satan is just sent back to the stables so that the only one you know riding us now is Jesus, but that Satan, he gives up those reins reluctantly and that he will do everything he can do to get that bit right back into your mouth. Because Satan hates to lose a slave. He hates to lose a slave. And so you and I, we must fight against the temptation of the evil one and the body of sin that we carry around daily, every single moment, throughout our whole life. And the good news for us in this church is that, but you and I, we've been given a helper. A helper who lives inside of us, who is the Holy Spirit. As he comes to live in you, you are not perfect, but you are new. You are not perfect, but you are new. New, and when God is finished with you on that final day, yeah, you're going to be perfect that day. But right now, with your new, it comes with a new desire, a new identity. You got a new master. That's why Second Corinthians five seventeen it tells us it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's new. This is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. And this crazy, crazy thing happens, church. Whenever you get closer to Jesus, whenever you slide closer and closer to Jesus in your walk with him, the further away sometimes you feel like you are. The closer you move to Jesus, the further away you feel like you are sometimes. And so the closer you get to Jesus, scooting next to him, the more aware you become of your sin. The closer that you get to Jesus, scooting next to him, the more accurate self-assessment you have about yourself in the spirit. Because as the more you get closer to Jesus, the more you realize, man, I am really not like Jesus. And, and I don't share that to discourage you, I share that actually to encourage you because Philippians 1.6 says this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in this life you won't be perfect but as a christian you should make progress and this should encourage you because one has come and already passed this test the verse the verse seven there the greek literally says the one dying and so this one church this one who has died who is this who is this one You can Sunday school answer Jesus, right? This is Jesus. The one who has died. Jesus, he's been vindicated. He's been justified. He's been set free from the grip of our sin, and it's proved in the resurrection. This is the best. This is the best. What's yours is mine from Jesus that Paul's told us yet because the only way for you and I to be rescued from sin is that the cost of sin be paid and it has to be paid either by the sinner themselves or it has to be paid by the uh, God-given substitute, the God-ordained substitute. And so there's no escape from this. It has to be paid. And so what I'm getting at is you you can't rise until you first die. And then it's only those who have risen that can conquer their sin. How many of you have heard of uh, Stockholm Syndrome? A few of us here and there. Stockholm Syndrome. So in, in 1973, there was this, there was this bank rob, robbery that happened in, in Stockholm, Sweden. And, and, and during a particular crime that happened there, the bank employees that were at the bank, they were held captive in the bank vault for five days while their captors, they were in negotiations with the police department. And during the standoff, between the police and the robbers, this really, really strange phenomenon happened inside of this bank. The victims became emotionally attached to their captors, so much so that even when the government tried to send in reinforces to save them, they rejected their help and chose to remain captives instead of going free. And it actually went so far as that whenever they were set free, Um, that they went back and defended the the people who had taken them captive, and and they defended the motives for which they'd abducted them. And so the victims, they fell in love with their jailers, and they didn't want to be set free. And we look at that story, and we're like, well, that seems crazy, right? Those people are, are dumb. I don't know why anybody would ever do something like that. And I'm just like, well, be careful in your assessment, of that story because the Apostle Paul is prodding us in the same way. He's going, how can those who have been set free from their sin still desire to live in its prison? Maybe they've forgotten and they need to remember to know that they're new. As we bow our heads this morning, It's not a magical thing. It's just a way for us to say, Holy Spirit, what would you speak to me? What are you you prodding in me this morning through Romans? I want you to know this morning that whenever a non-Christian, whenever a non-Christian sins, you should not get mad at them. You shouldn't get mad at them. Because all they're doing is acting in their nature they are acting in accordance with their identity they are acting in old man's stand and so really why would they not sin it is who they are but whenever someone who has been united with christ jesus in union with him when they are united everything about them changes their nature changes (laughs) they get new desires this is a new you. And so when a Christian sins, or lives in sin, they are acting against their very own identity. And so why do we sin in those moments? Because at least in that moment, I've had a spiritual amnesia and I've forgotten who I am. I've forgotten that I've been made new. You believer this morning, it is virtually certain that you will continue to struggle with sin for the rest of your life on this planet there there is so much weakness left in me and there is so much weakness left in you and we are bombarded by a plethora of opportunities to sin all of the time to live in this body of death our our comfort level is in the graveyard however the God who has Uh, died his death and risen in resurrection has given you a new power and a new grace to resist the temptation to fight that body of death and so even though you might still sin from time to time you need to know that you're new